Good evening. Good evening. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to be with you this evening. Our sermon this evening comes from the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. And if you can find Matthew, just flip back one book and you've got Malachi. So that's very handy. Before we read our text, I want to give you a bit of the context. So the Israelites, God's people, have been living in exile in Babylon, and now they have returned to the land of Judah, but they have not yet actually returned to God in their hearts and in their lives. And that's why Malachi is designed as a series of disputes that God has with his people. God confronts Israel with some tough messages about their sin and their unfaithfulness. And God is good. God is good to lovingly say some of these things that they need to hear. And in the book of Malachi, I think it's very much like God is continuously fathering us. We are like a child who has fallen and scraped our knee and has become infected. And so God, he applies as a good father the balm of the gospel and he cleans out the infection, and he puts bandages on us so that healing can take place. That is God's heart in these messages in the book of Malachi. So let's turn to our passage this evening. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. And we will read through chapter 3, verse 5. That is on page 802 in your pew Bible. So please give your attention to the reading of God's word. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift, be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray, if it so pleases you, Lord, would you pour out your, the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon us, your people, this evening. We pray that you would make the gospel clear to us in your word, and Lord, would you give us receptive hearts that we might humble ourselves before you, that we might humble ourselves beneath you, 
to the healing of our hearts and to the transformation of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to uh, invite you to imagine with me that you are out driving. You're on Steveston Highway in Richmond. That's where I drive almost every day. Or pick a, pick a highway of your choice. And it's a peaceful night. It's, it's beautiful. There's a full moon. Good weather. And then all of a sudden, some crazy driver in a Tesla, let's say, because I live in Richmond, or whatever you think, comes coming up behind you, tailgates you, and then goes flying past you, clearly speeding, driving dangerously. And as you mutter to yourself about those Richmond Tesla drivers, all of a sudden, in your rearview mirror, you see red and blue flashing lights. Now, how do you feel in that moment? If you're like me, I expect you feel some degree of satisfaction and happiness. Like, yes, that Tesla driver is going to get what he deserves for speeding and driving so dangerously. I hope he gets a really big fine. But let's say for a moment, what if those flashing red and blue lights that you think are just going to go whizzing by you, actually, instead they settle in behind you? And you get pulled over, right? And, and you say, well, I mean, sure, I, I guess I was speeding a little bit, but come on, that other guy, you know, he was driving dangerously. He was speeding so much more. Now, how do you feel now as the police officer writes you a ticket? Well, justice can feel sweet until it is us who is getting justice. Right? We are happy to see wrongdoers punished until it's our wrongdoing that's being judged and punished. See, in our text today, Israel, they're looking around them. They're looking at all these other nations, all the people around them. They're, they're sinning. They're, they're doing evil. And Israel says, God, when are you going to bring justice? Right? Are you just going to let these evildoers continue doing their evil deeds? When are you going to come and set everything right? But what they don't realize is that if God shows up to punish evildoers, it means it's going to include them. Right? If those red and blue lights appear on the scene in Malachi's day, it's Israel who is getting pulled over and given a ticket. And it's going to apply just as much to Israel as it is to the surrounding nations. And so in our text today, God, he speaks to his people and he says, yes, there is a time when I am going to show up. And here's what it's going to be like. And here's what is going to happen when I come. So we're going to look at our text together in two sections. First, God lovingly reasons with us. And then second, God lovingly refines us. Okay, He reasons with us and he refines us. So first, God lovingly reasons with us. Please have the text in front of you and look with me in chapter 2, verse 17. He says, God through the prophet Malachi, he says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Now this is the second time that this verb to weary 
has come up in the book of Malachi. The first time we see it is back in chapter 1, verse 13. The people had been bringing lame and diseased animals as offerings to God in worship. Right? They're supposed to bring their beautiful, pure, unblemished animals. Instead, they are bringing Gruffy the one-eyed goat. They're just bringing these pitiful offerings to God in worship. And when God confronts them about this, they say, what a weariness this is. Right? To them, worshiping God the way He requires, by bringing a proper sacrifice, is a weariness to them. And now here, in chapter 2, verse 17, God says, I'm weary of you. Now this is interesting, because God is beginning this passage, as it were, by stooping down and being vulnerable with his people. Right? He's letting them know about how their attitudes, their actions are affecting him, relating to us in a way that we can understand as his people. And he's saying, you have wearied me. What makes you feel weary? Maybe if you have little kids at home, no offense, little kids, I see all of you here, but maybe you get wearied taking care of children. Children, maybe you get wearied of your parents always telling you what to do. Maybe in your work, you feel wearied by this coworker or boss you have to deal with. Or sometimes, you know, you get in these conversations with people who you don't agree with. And it's just so wearying to have this arguing back and forth all the time where it just seems like it's not, it's not going anywhere. Right? It's exhausting. And so in this passage, God says He is wearied by Israel's words. And this verb wearied is in the perfect tense, which tells us that this is something that's been happening for a long time. And it's just been building and building, and now God has had enough. He is wearied. You know, and nobody wants to hear, God is wearied with you, right? That's not good. But God comes to them and he says, you have wearied me. And he tells them that, why? In order to invite them to return to him. So that his people can know what they're doing to him. They're not walking in his ways. They're actually wearying God. They're grieving him. And so he tells them that to lovingly reason with them as a father to his children. So then what is Israel's response? Look again at verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying... He gives us two different things. First, by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Now, are evildoers good in the sight of God? No. Is he pleased with them? No. Scripture is clear about that, right? God is not pleased with evildoers. That is not true. So they are making this huge accusation against God's character. Now why would they say such a thing? And it's because the people of Israel, at this point in their history, they're looking around and they're seeing all this evil, all these evil people prospering, succeeding everywhere. Right? They, they've just gone through the exile. 
they've returned back to the land, but things are not going well. They're living under Persian rule. And, and these Persians are doing all kinds of wicked things. And so the people are saying, if you look at all the evidence, it looks like God does prefer evil. And it looks like God is being unfaithful to his people. Israel is saying, God, you haven't been faithful to your covenant promises. right? You haven't blessed us the way you said you would. You haven't been seeking justice and judgment on our behalf. And then if you look again at verse 17, there's a second thing that the people were saying. They're saying, where is the God of justice? And that can be that word justice can also be translated judgment. Where is the God of judgment? And you know, where, this, this idea, where is the God of justice? You know, when we think about the Psalms, over 15 times in the Psalms, the psalmist comes to God and the psalmist says, How long, O Lord? And then he ex- it expresses itself in, in these bunch of different ways. How long, O Lord, are our enemies going to oppress us? Or how long, O Lord, are evildoers going to speak evil against us? How long, O Lord, are your people going to ignore your word? And it is totally appropriate for them and for us today to bring these longings to God. Longings for God to intervene and set things right. To judge. But apparently, this was different. The way God's people were were speaking here. Apparently, their longing had corroded not to a longing for God to actually come and show up, but instead it has become cynicism. And they just thought that God is out to lunch. God's not going to do what he said. He's, he's, he doesn't really care. Where is the God of justice? And, and when they said that, that grieved God. That wearied him. So at the beginning of this passage, he wants us to know that in these kinds of attitudes, it wearies his very heart. And But the beautiful thing about God in this passage is that to his people who are accusing him of injustice, his unjust people, his faithless people accusing God of faithlessness, he still answers them. He stoops down and he reasons with them and he shows them his heart and he invites them to turn back to him. And it's his fatherly love that would reason with us like that when he could have just obliterated us but he he welcomes us in he reasons with us so that's the first thing we see in this passage god lovingly reasons with us but second god lovingly then refines us so the people are asking where is the god of justice when will god come and bring judgment and god responds and he answers their accusations in two ways he says first God is coming. And then secondly, he says, and there will be judgment. God is coming, and there will be judgment. So first, God says, I am coming. Look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. So this verse, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, is quoted three times in the New Testament. Matthew 11, that we read earlier. Mark 1 and Luke 7. And in each time it is Jesus who is speaking, 
And he's saying the messenger that Malachi was talking about here is John the Baptist. John was the messenger who's going to come and prepare the way for Jesus. What does it mean to prepare the way? In ancient times when the king would visit outlying provinces and visit the cities, he would send a messenger ahead of him. And the messenger would go ahead and he would say, get ready, the king is coming. Right? Smooth out the roads, get rid of the bandits, make sure it's safe, prepare a good meal, prepare his lodging, make adequate preparations. And that is just what John the Baptist did. When John the Baptist finally comes 400 years after Malachi here, what was his message? Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 say this, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? Repent. That means make preparations. Get ready. The kingdom of God is here. You need to make some changes. You need to return to God. You need to prepare your hearts because God as the king is on his way. That was the work of the messenger. So first God says he's going to send his messenger to get the people ready for his coming. And then the second thing it says here in Malachi 3, verse 1, is that God promises to come himself. So it says, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And friends, this is an astonishing promise. Because, you know, it is one thing for God to send a messenger. And God had been doing that for hundreds of years. He has sent his prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Can you say them all with me, the minor prophets? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, I don't know. (laughs) All of those, he sent all these messengers. He sends Malachi, whose very name means my messenger. And he's going to send John the Baptist. And all of these messengers were all God's grace to his people. They were his grace to them. He, he sent them to call the people to return to the Lord in their hearts and in their lives. But they, they, they didn't. And now the truly incredible thing is that God is promising that instead of sending more messengers, he himself will come. He himself will come. He says, I'm coming. So that's the first part of God's response to them. Where's the God of justice? God says, I'm coming. I'm going to show up. You will see me. Behold. And then the second part of the response is, and there will be judgment. So look now at verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? So first, who can endure the day of his coming? See, Malachi, he talks about the day of the Lord's coming. And that was synonymous with the day of the Lord or the the day of judgment. God's people were anticipating this day and they hoped that on this day that God was going to come and He was going to pull over all those evil cars who are speeding so much faster than them and that He is going to judge them and they're going to get tickets. And, And they were longing for a geopolitical conquest where finally the temple would be made beautiful and magnificent. Israel would flourish in the land. All their enemies would get kicked out. 
everything would be all good. And so when Israel asks, where is the God of justice? Surely this day is in their minds. God, when is this day of judgment going to come? But then Malachi, he starts to paint a different picture of what would happen when Messiah comes. He says again in verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Right When this day comes, when God removes that veil between us and him and brings us before him in judgment, he asks us, who will stand? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is, no one. Okay. No one is going to remain. God says, when I come to judge, it is not going to go well for you. When the day of the Lord comes, you, my people, you think you are so good, but you will not be able to endure it. Because Israel, they had all been unfaithful. The entire world had been unfaithful. right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so Malachi is clear. If we try to go through the fires of God's judgment on our own two feet, we will be consumed. God says, if I come in judgment as you are asking me to do, you will not stand. And what that means is that something has to be done. Something unexpected has to happen before the day of the Lord because God wants to be faithful to His people. He wants to be faithful to His covenant. And that's what happens when Jesus comes. You know, many of you are familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. But then John 3.17 goes on and it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Right? And this has always been God's loving and gracious plan. God sends Jesus into the world, not to destroy and condemn the world in judgment, but instead to purify His people. So look at the second part of verse 2 with me. It says, For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. A fuller is a launderer. Fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. See, when God comes, it was supposed to be a day of judgment. And when the people of God looked forward to that, they didn't know this plan that there would be a coming and then there would be a second coming. But God knew that His people would not pass through that day. So instead, before that day of judgment, He comes down to the world, He walks on the soil of earth, and He draws near to His people to purify them and to cleanse them. And the picture that Malachi gives us is of a silversmith refining silver. So a silversmith in the ancient world, they would have these flaming coals in front of them. And they would have a pot and they take these ingots, I think is the word, punks of silver, and they put them in the pot and they'd, they'd place the pot on the coals of fire and the silver would begin to melt down. And then what would happen is all the impurities, the dross, would slowly begin to rise to the top. Some of it would burn off, but it would be this kind of this intimate kind of thing that the silversmith would do. He would slowly scrape the dross off. He would remove each impurity. And he knew his work was fully complete 
when he could fully see his image in that molten silver as in a mirror. And in the same way, God, as the great refiner of his people, he came not in judgment to condemn us, but he came to purify us until he could see his image in his people. So how can these refining fires of God purify us instead of consume us and condemn us? That's the question we have to ask. And the answer is the cross of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus endured the judgment of God. He endured the justice of God against our sin and against our unfaithfulness. The fires of God's judgment against evildoers that no one could stand before, Jesus endured for us. He stood. And as a refiner's fire removes all impurity so that only the pure remain, God dealt with the sins of his people on the cross so that only Jesus' righteousness and only his faithfulness remain. And the good news of the gospel is that when we are united to Christ by faith, we are united to him in his death and his resurrection, he clothes us in his pure righteousness. Jesus takes on the condemning fires of judgment so that in him we might then be refined by him. And that means now that these, the fiery trials... The discipline that he puts us in are so that his image would shine even more clearly in us. This is what Peter is getting at in other parts of the New Testament, but in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. This is what he says. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Friends, this is the refining work of Christ. And as we look to the cross, we see this priority in the heart of Jesus to purify us, to cleanse us, to justify us and sanctify us. And now as he refines us, we can trust him in whatever fire he has us in because he is the great refiner. And when we have a God like this, a God who is so kind, a God who is so loving to us, what can we do but return to him? Now finally, look with me at verse 3. It says, He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. See, remember, we started off in chapter 2, verse 17, with God saying, you have wearied me. And by the time we get here, through the refining work of Christ, He says, you are pleasing to me. You are pleasing to me. In the light of Christ's refining of us, the weariness of God gives way to the pleasure of God in His people. Judgment is still coming. That's what verse 5 says. But it did not come with Jesus' first appearing. The day of grace comes first. And when He comes again the second time, it will be the day of judgment. 
We are in the day of grace right now. Right? And we should be thankful for that. This is the day of repentance. This is the day of salvation. You know, sometimes we as God's people, just like the people of Malachi's day, when we look at the evil in the world and in the wickedness, we ask, where is the God of justice? Why does the God of the universe not speak? And the answer that Malachi gives us is because God has already spoken every gracious word that needs to be said. In the scriptures, he has given us everything we need to be reconciled to him through Christ and to live as his people. God is silent now because when he speaks again, it will be a day of judgment. And so I want to leave you with this question. Are you going to try to stand on that day on your own two legs or are you going to cling to what Christ has accomplished for you on the cross? Because only by placing our faith and our trust in Jesus can you pass through the refining fires of God's judgment. And then when we belong to him through faith, his refining work, instead of consuming us, it changes us. And so even now, we live here more and more beautiful, more and more made into the image of Jesus our Savior. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who refines us, your people. And Lord, you didn't leave us in the sins that are ours. You didn't give us the justice that we deserve, but instead you gave us grace. And Lord, we thank you for your love for us, your faithfulness to your covenant promises, that you would be our God and that we would be your people. And that you accomplished that. You, you upheld your promises. You stood in our place and took the judgment that we deserve. And Lord, would you now purify us? Lord, help us to desire holiness in our lives, to pursue you, to follow after you, and to become like you, more and more made into the image of our holy God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you do that work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.